Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Code Business Podcast. My name is Paul Raymonds and this week I'm standing in for a regular host, Alex Manby. On today's show, we're talking to Brandon Smith. Brandon is a streamer, content creator and esports caster whose career has been focused on the FIFA video game series, now known as EAFC, with more than 2 million followers across TikTok, Facebook Gaming, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Brandon straddles both the casual FIFA space and the professional. Outside of his own content creation, Brandon has worked as a caster for the likes of the BBC, BE in Sports, Sky Sports, as well as a host of rights holders, including the Premier League, FIFA, the Bundesliga, and many clubs. I was talking to Brandon about his own career, EAFC as an esport, and what works and what doesn't when it comes to creating content around virtual football. Brandon, welcome to the show. How's it going? I've never been uh, teed up like that before, so it's nice. <laughs> That's it's quite a long intro, isn't it? Yeah, not bad, not bad. It's accurate because you have had you have had what a career in the let's call it professional FIFA EAFC space for quite some time, and you've kind of dabbled in different areas. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's sort of you're sort of in the middle, aren't you, between traditional real life football and I guess gaming and and esports, and you're sort of just in the middle. Hence, why you've just got a You've got to be across everything, really, in terms of social media to obviously all sort of gaming, especially with the new AFC coming up. So now I've been very, very lucky. I think this is what coming into my seventh seventh year now doing this, seventh season doing this now. I know it's not called FIFA anymore, but regardless, EAFC, I've got uh, I've got big hopes for this year. But you, there, you mentioned that you mentioned seven years. There was a time when you wasn't doing any of this and you were just playing video games like any other fan was or watching your football team, etc. So... How did you get started? How did it become a career that you would cast over professional uh, video games? Yeah, so um, as, you, as you're right to say, you know, as, as, as I was when I was younger, you know, playing games just for enjoyment. I was in the midnight launches for the new FIFAs down at my local game in my local town, cycling down on my bike to go get the game early. Um, you know, seven years on now, I'm able to uh to get the game early myself um which is which is unbelievable but to go back to it so yeah I've sort of went down that traditional route of wanting to be a footballer realized I couldn't be a footballer but wanted to be involved in football in some way so I was like right how cool would it be to maybe be a football commentator at the time I was sort of 16 17 getting my my, my GCSEs then uh, did a BTEC sport which was the equivalent to some A levels to get into university so I thought okay let's try and pursue the commentator route so my idea was to go and study journalism I went to Manchester at a university called UCFB, which um, basically in short is a university inside football stadium. So it's inside Wembley Stadium and it's inside the Etihad Stadium. So I thought this looks quite cool. Different style of university experience. Studied uh, multimedia sports journalism there. And when I was at university, I was just just doing everything I could in terms of you know work experience. I was going down to local football clubs from Curzon Ashton's to FC United of Manchester, offering my um, my time and uh, and probably not much expertise in commentary at the time, but just to help them out, you know, a lot of these clubs desperate for for students to help their media teams. And at that time as well, I, in my spare time, was was playing FIFA competitively, aka playing in tournaments where you could win maybe £50, £100, but I was absolutely terrible and I'd get knocked out in the first or second round. But again, it was a space I wanted to be involved in. So I started to, to sort of commentate on the finals, like get get the players to send me the footage after it was played and then commentate in real life time um, and basically just started just started to try and I guess be a commentator and I think it was maybe six months into that first year of my university degree a friend of a friend basically came to me and said look there's this guy 
in Ireland that's running this this sort of pro league uh, with with clubs in it like Wolverhampton Wanderers, Shamrock Rovers. They've all got a player in there. They need a they need a resident commentator to do it. You know, you've got to produce the stream. You've got to get all the gameplay and sync. You've got to commentate it as well. And it's also fourteen weeks long, and you're on your own. There's no co commentator or anything. And I was like, this is what I've been waiting for. An opportunity like this, you know, money aside, did that and. It just sort of went from there, like, you know, opportunities started to come up. EA Sports launched a competition looking for the next two FIFA commentators at the time it was. And I went for that tournament with a good friend of mine and fellow student, Richard Buckley, who now we've been working in the space together for a long time. But we went for this competition, went down to London, got into the final. The winners of that went to go and commentate on the the biggest FIFA tournament at the time in Berlin, which was a $160,000 tournament. And it just snowballed from there. You know, the timing you could say was right, but maybe that, that little bit of work and expertise b- before it sort of worked wonders for us. But it, it was a case of like the timing was perfect. And whenever when every opportunity came up, we just took it and we took it and we took it. And it got to a stage of like that this could either be a career now or this could just be a hobby. And, and we went down the career route and we got representation. And then we obviously started earning proper money for our job. Um, and now... Look, you know, EAFC's here and, and fingers crossed we're, we're on to commentate our seventh sort of pro season in a row. And that's sort of following the season from start to finish from the the start to the World Championship. So it's been a, a pretty crazy journey, but I am, you could say, still a, a qualified journalist, but just working in, in esports, commentating fever. I mean, you say a qualified journalist. I mean, there is, it's a, it's a broader church. What you do definitely falls into that space. But you also mentioned there your background and how you started, where you commentate over, let's call it real football, to try to separate between yeah. the two. How much do you think those kind of two roles differ? Because it, mm. I think it's very hard sometimes for people to understand what you do without seeing or hearing what you do. Sure. And it, it seems like a challenge because you have this, almost like kind of like two roles. You need to know in the sense of the competitive scene, you need to know the players who are playing the game, who they are, their strengths, their weaknesses, their history, their win-loss record, or this kind of stuff. But then you also need to know the cards or the the ultimate team players. Yeah. And that just seems, and the the intricacies of, of gameplay, it just seems like a very, almost a more complicated way to commentate on football than just commentating over what most people are used to. Absolutely. I think when you, you're right, from from the outside in, and, and you know, I've, I've, I've tried to have conversations with, traditional media outlets about you know trying to get opportunities in the real, real world of football like in in those six seven years I've been in this space and I think where people don't necessarily think it's a serious profession um commentating FIFA like you, you're right to say no one understands what it's going to sound like so to be brutally honest so before I was in the space there was esports commentators that commentated on FIFA and there was also football commentators that commentated on FIFA but a football commentator would come in and and obviously think it's just it's just a football commentary but Realistically, you're right. You break it down. It's like, right, you need to speak about uh, Jude Bellingham's brand new rating. You know, he's got, let's just say he's got, I don't know, 78 physical. You know, why is he being pushed off the ball against Rude Hullet, who's an icon that's got, let's just say, 80 plus physical? That's a conversation need to happen. But then you also need to speak about the fact that Jude Bellingham's had a massive upgrade this year on his ultimate team item because he's having a, the, the most incredible career ever and he's moved to Real Madrid. And then you've also got another conversation of, Right, this is football now, but there's been a there's been a goal. Neymar's just scored it. You've got to commentate it like a Neymar goal, and then you've also got the fact that Tex is controlling the player. Tex is a, one of the the most well known 
pro players in the world for those that don't know um and what's his backstory like you know why is he doing well in this tournament so it's such a i guess you know commentary is an art in, in itself but it's such a blend of all these different styles that people different people can appreciate you can get the casual person that tunes in let's just say to the the world championship and just wants to watch it as a as a very casual fan but then you get that really hardcore ultimate team fan that is appreciating the fact that we're going into the depths of their in-game stats and why this play style is working out so you you sort of i guess serving loads of different audiences in the commentary and, and you're right i don't think people realize how, how much that commentary does have in it. It's not just a case of, oh, it's balls to Ronaldo, Ronaldo scored and it's 1-0 to play and number one. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's so much there's so much more that's in that there's commentary. There's layers, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, obviously every year the game changes to varied degrees, sometimes more, sometimes less. How much does your, um, re- how much research do you have to do when you're preparing for, let's say, a new season? When there's new cards, you mentioned Bellingham there, for instance. Are you starting from scratch? Is the the intricacy with how it kind of EA changes the gameplay and other things become uh, the meta, for instance, does that change how you have to go approach it? Are you stand fresh? Absolutely. I think, look, this year is more than ever. I'm sure we'll speak about it shortly, but with the introduction of, you know, women's uh, items sort of in the game now, it's, uh, it shapes things up. For those that don't know, female players have been added into Ultimate Team for the first time ever, but they haven't just been added into Ultimate Team. They've been made into these unbelievable like players. Like we're talking like... There's been some massive downgrade for for men's players, and there's been some crazy upgrades. For example, Sam Kerr is a is a 90 rated player, the same rating I believe as as, as Harry Kane right now. On the other side of that, you've got uh, Alexis Patelas, who's the same rating as Kylian Mbappe and, and Haaland, which is you know, which which breeds into the point you're making of in terms of that preparation. A lot of the time, yes, you've got to find out what the meta is, but two, what players are the pros enjoying? Because 90 percent of the time, if we're playing, you know the 10 best players in the world, everyone's going to have the same nine, the same nine players out of the 11 across the board. So when you start to know that information of, right, let's just say Tex is using these nine players, MS Desari is using these nine players, why are they using these nine players? How many of them are a women's player? How many are a men's player? That's when you can really start to prepare. I think, yes, you can still do basic pre- preparation of what the meta is in the, in the game. But until you start seeing proper pro FIFA or EA FC or pro FC, it's hard to really to really gauge that, but you're right. I think this is going to be the most interesting year of them all in terms of preparation for me because I've got no idea of what what these teams are going to be looking like. That must start off differently at the beginning. I I assume it's kind of like players start to experiment, and then when you get a little bit further down the line and you get to like the end of the life cycle of the game, the competitive season, you see the more familiar players. Is that accurate, or are people still going to be using? Are you still getting seeing the the usual kind of starting elevens? You're right. It, it will change all the time. And the reason for that is, um, I mean, one, the game will change. For those that don't know, basically, the game has regular updates and patches, they call it, where, say, let's just say, you know, Haaland's heading's just an absolute joke. They'll have to patch that and maybe make it fair. It, basically, it's it's, what, it's whatever people start whining about. When people start whining about, you know, the fact that this keeps happening and it's getting them really frustrated, they'll change it. And for the pros, that will will constantly change as well. Um Got to remember as well, she said promos happen in the year, like EA do loads of different promos, like uh, let's just say Team of the Year, which is one of the big ones. Icons will then get upgrades, that changes them. I think the only players that we'll see throughout the whole year that will remain the same uh, is players, let's just say like maybe those top uh, women's players, maybe like Alexis Patelis could could be one of those, um, Mbappe, and then Icons, you know, Hullets, R9s, Pele's, 
these are players that are just irreplaceable, um, regardless of what players come out into the game. So there will be changes. And you're right, the, the, the squads will constantly change throughout the year. But the first month's exciting because no one really knows what they're doing. It's just a case of trial and error. I mean, we've been speaking about the competitive scene. We haven't really actually kind of illustrated kind of what it is. I know um, EA only really kind of went out with how the competitive EAFC competition going to look this year. I know it's quite complicated. There are layers to it. And it's not maybe as straightforward as it has been in previous years. Can you just give us a short rundown of what competitive FIFA looks like in terms of the calendar and competitions? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, this is a this is a bit of a groundbreaking year because it's the first time that FIFA, the governing body, is not involved. So a bit of context that EA and FIFA used to work together, not just on the, 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 the naming rights of the game, but... For example, FIFA, the governing body, would would host the World Championships every year for the game, and EA would basically do a lot of the groundwork building up to that in terms of activating leagues like E Premier League, basically any football league in the world. Just put an E or a virtual in front of it, and that's basically what happens. Like the virtual Bundesliga, E La Liga, E Champions League, uh, E Premier League, um, E League One, you know, E Divisa, E MLS. These are all things that will be happening this year. So, yes, FIFA out of the equation. But to, to break down the year, very simple. Uh, October and basically now while we're talking, the game's out. Players are getting familiar with the games. They're building their dream team. I know we'll come on to how much they're spending probably in, in a minute or so. But they're building their dream teams, um, which is what Ultimate Team's all about. Getting used to the game. October, I believe, is a bit of a month where they're just going to grind the game. Play online qualifiers, grind the game in short terms, play a lot of it, compete against the best players in the world. And then I'm hearing from sort of the winter onwards until February, there's going to be some sort of uh, FC Pro events, maybe a league. There was a league last year. I believe we could be seeing a league again, which is basically like over X amount of weeks, players play against each other. And then I believe from February to May, that's when we're going to see all those those partner leagues. So E-Premier League will come back, I'm sure, Virtual Bundesliga, Ela Liga. These are leagues that have been set up for, let's just say, English players in England, Spanish players in Spain. Um, there'll be lots of money on the line for those tournaments. And if you perform well in them, you will then qualify for what will be the end event, which was FIFA's major event. Now it's going to be EA's World Championship, where basically there's going to be, I think it was announced as a million dollar prize pool for it this year. And it's obviously it's 1v1 FIFA, so the winner gets 250k. I think that's already been announced, which is massive. So basically you're trying to you're trying to perform well in all these tournaments to get yourself to this world championship, which I believe is going to happen at sort of June, July time next year. So that's that's the calendar season this year. Um should be packed full of some some great events and opportunities for myself. So uh I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, it's the first time the EA have have hosted that championship crowning moment. Is this a case where if you're a if you're a professional player and you have represented, let's say, let's use your team, let's say Bryson. You've represented Bryson in the E Premier League. Can you also then represent Bayern Munich in the Virtual Bundesliga, or is it is, is it separated in that sense? Separated. So you know, there's been a couple of question marks before, but for example, these leagues are pretty strict with like you need to be a resident of Germany uh, or born in Germany to play in the in the in the Virtual Bundesliga as a whole. I know there's been a couple of. I think the re- it's more the resident than born in Germany. There's been players that move over to different locations to play in different leagues because these are pro players and they're looking for any sort of, you know, for example, last year there was a German player that played in the EMLS, you know, never has lived in the USA before, but played in the USA tournament. So you can only play in one league in short. You must be a resident there, whether you've got to go out and live there for a, for a bit of time or sign up to your residency. But you can only play in one league, so it does limit those opportunities, um, if, if, if that makes sense. 
It does. I mean, you reference there somebody literally moving to another country to gain an advantage or to gain a, no, yeah, as an advantage would be fair. How much, from what you see, how much time, not just money, but how much time are pros playing in becoming the best at yep. um, EASC? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, there's such a stigma, isn't there, around um, like gaming and, and esports players in general. I reckon they're playing at this time of the year. They've got to be playing. I'm talking, say, let's just be realistic here. A player probably wakes up at like, I don't know, 10, 11 a.m. in the morning. I reckon they're playing from midday till the early hours of the morning. Yes, there's breaks in between, but I reckon they're playing for 12 hours and just grinding the game, playing against other pro players, ripping packs. And you have to remember, like, if you're a top-level FIFA player or or FC Pro, you can be you can be looking at a salary of I don't know, let's just say five five k a month, ten k a month plus. Yes, you're expected to stream, and yes, you're expected to to activate brand deals when they come in for your team. But if you're a top-level FIFA player, I think you could be looking at like a good ten k plus a month. You know, some of those contracts could be two years if you're smart. You know, it's a lot of money, and then prize money on top. You know, there's players out there that have made. For example, Nicholas 99, an Argentinian player. He's been playing since FIFA 18 to 2018. We're five years in now since then. The guy's made $675,000 on prize earnings. That's without a wage. That's And again, people can say, but, oh, but it's not fair. They're putting all these FIFA points or FC points in the game. But it's a business expense for him, really. I'm not saying everyone should do that. But if you're a pro player, you could be making this sort of money back. Like pfft. You mentioned that, right? It's a business expense. It's them investing in their team in a sense yeah and kind of like trying to build their team as we mentioned before you kind of straddle both of these lines right you work as a content creator creating content yep. for your own channels as well as what you do with uh, with brands and rights holders there's that expense as well you can't move at the moment for going through social channels and seeing people whether it's you or other content creators packing and packing and packing some do it a lot more than others yeah obviously once it how much you think is being spent there in this short period of time is it a case where everyone just kind of dumps in the first couple of months and goes very heavy on this and then it kind of peters out yeah so you only uh, to be brutally honest to you, you only you only go big at the start if you're a player so I, I just spoke to a french player before coming on this podcast i put his team up on my on my uh, on my social media the other day the guy spent three hundred twenty-eight thousand fc points so just for for quick maths you're looking at with a discount you're looking at about 70 pounds let's say for twelve thousand fc points so do all your 12,000s into 328,000. In short, I'm looking at about, that's about two, just over, just under 2K, I think, um, that that guy may may have spent. I'm going to trust, you, trust your maths on that. <laughs> it's a lot, but again, it's, it's such a difficult one because look, if, if you listen to this podcast and you're, a, you're someone that moans about like pay to win and all these conversations, look, there's conversations you can argue about because there are restrictions a lot of the time in these qualifiers, which then opens up the conversation that, yes, you can still pay and hope to have loads of coins and have icons in your team but necessarily can't use them all because there's restrictions which basically not doesn't allow you to go crazy on your team but on top of that as well like as, as we said teams will help players you know if you've got a team that's got money they're going to help the player start for the season they're going to they're going to give them the money they're going to give them that two three four thousand pounds to put into the fc points and um, me personally i think last year i I spent, I think, like two thousand pounds on on points. But then for me, that allowed me to make loads of videos across the year and allowed me to make X amount back. You know, so it's it depends where you're coming into this from. Like, I fully understand the the conversations of the parents going, "Oh, my son wants this and, and wants us to spend FC points." Fully understand it from that point of view. Um, but I think 
content creators are very transparent nowadays. Look, this is a I'm doing this so you don't have to. When I make my videos, a lot of time I'm saying I'm spending my money on these packs, so you can see exactly what's in them, so you don't have to do it. You know, when EA released these crazy packs that maybe cost like twenty pounds a, a hit, so. Yeah, it's it's blurred lines. I'll be honest. I think from depending on who you're speaking to about packs and points and how much people are spending. It's one thing I think that's quite obvious from your channel is it's not all about packs. You're creating content which isn't just you're know, opening packs and seeing who you have got, or maybe a little bit of Schadenfreude if you haven't gotten the disappointment of not packing a player based on what um, it shows you before the before the pack opens. Is that a conscious thing? Is there less of an incentive just to kind of do pack after pack after pack? Well, I think. I started out with that mentality of, you know, you've got to be a pack opener, you know, that's where the views are. That's where people maybe start thinking, oh, you are a content creator. But then I'd say in the last, probably sort of since the start of this year, I've tried to move away from it. I think on certain channels, like I, for example, I still upload videos on Facebook, like packs do really well there because of the demographic of Facebook. But in general, I'm, I'm thinking long-term, like I'm trying to build my brand up. Like, for example, I'll do a lot of stuff that gives a bit more personality for myself because whether that's me speaking to people in real life, whether that's me putting up a video of me commentating over a moment and you seeing my expressions and my reactions. Um, because I'm just thinking, what what's going to help me more long-term? Like, what's what are people going to remember me for? Like, are, are people always going to remember, like, there's 100 people that are opening packs, I should say. How are you going to stand out in that 100 people compared to, oh, he's that FIFA commentator or FC commentator that commentated on that moment or he's the guy that goes around and asks people who their favourite players are in the game. I was just trying to think of just a different angle to do things and to try and just reinvent the the, the game, so to speak, of esports sort of FC content. So I feel like I found my niche in it and um, I've had a really good year in terms of just sort of trying out these these new sort of videos. You say you've had a really good year. I've seen the numbers. It is a really good it's been, year. Yeah, it's been crazy. Do you, do you have any of them like to hand at the moment? Just give an idea of kind of like the growth. Yeah. So I think at the start of last year, so we're talking at the start of FIFA 23. Now we're at the end of FIFA 23, uh, EAFC. I think I took my, I think I took my TikTok from maybe 300,000 to a million, which was unbelievable. I took my Instagram from 100K to 400,000. Um, YouTube, Last this time last year, YouTube, I can tell you right now, I had about 10k subscribers now, I'm on about 270. Just like just growth that I never thought would be imaginable. You know, you sit there and you've, you know, it sounds petty, but like I'd sit there and think about that YouTube 100k plaque and every kid's dream. And I was like, I'm never going to get there, I'm never going to get it. And then short form content arrived, and I'm like, this is my thing, you know, shorts is the, is the way to go. And these platforms have been so rewarding now. Like on YouTube, you can now make a living off short videos because there's ads on them. TikTok now have just brought in this new thing where if you post 60 second or long videos, you can make some really good ad revenue. For example, to be brutally honest, I uh, I did a video the other day, it did a million views on TikTok and it's paid like 200 pounds for a 60 second video. And, and, and that video is still going to get views. Like that's ridiculous. A 60 second video paying 200 pounds. Like some YouTube videos don't even get that, that get like really good views. That seems to be a big divergence from what was maybe associated with traditional kind of um, FIFA content creation maybe a few years ago in that it seemed to be all focused towards towards long form streaming yep. and content creation like that so are you from what you're saying then you're seeing that it's actually it's it's shifted a lot in terms of your content creation anyway to more of the forms like like TikTok like Reels like uh, YouTube Shorts and that's where the growth has come and that's Absolutely. what you're now kind of adapting your content for. Yeah, I, I had a big long, even for YouTube, I sat there and I'd think, 
there's such a, a thing about YouTube that you have to upload long videos. You have to upload long videos. And, you know, you, you know people will say, like, people can joke, but, oh, but I bet you can't get views on, like, long videos, but you can get views on shorts. In the, the day, it doesn't really matter. Like, growth is growth and views are views. Um, and I think, look, look at the attention spam of, of the, the, the youth these days. Like, that's why shorts do so well, because short videos, short attention spams, people love it, and they, that dopamine hit comes, and they go and watch another one. So I felt like I was just trying to really work into an audience, which I knew how that's how they're going to act. But I am trying out different stuff. I still do stream. I still do try and do long videos, but it's like try and think about what deserves to be a long video. You know, what what actually is going to earn its place as a long video. And um, for example, I've got a video coming out pretty soon where I went around London um, literally about two days before recording this. And I was giving out copies of EAFC to the first person that, that found me. So I went to Stamford Bridge they didn't let me film. I think they were just fuming at the, at the league table at the moment. Um, but I went to the Emirates. I went to Wembley Stadium, went to West Ham. And basically my method for this content piece was I went live on TikTok outside the stadium. No one knew I was there before. And I went, the first person that comes and finds me and shows they're watching me on TikTok live, I'll give the game to. Emirates Stadium, 12 minutes in, someone comes on their bike, gets the game off me. Wembley Stadium, 16 minutes in, someone comes and finds me. And then I think it was at West Ham, it was 25 minutes had about 5,000 people on this TikTok live watching. And then someone came and, and found me. Um, and like the video, I, I believe, could do really well. And like, that's me trying something different that no one's done before. And I just felt like that just shows the power of these platforms as well, like TikTok. I reckon you could be, obviously, you're at a football stadium, but you can be pretty much anywhere. And the power of these <laughs> these platforms are just are ridiculous. But you need to have, you need to have the, the personality and the grind and the, the competence to be able to do kind of what you're doing as well. I've worked with you on and off like uh, maybe five, six, yeah, good, good few years now. I even remember some of the early tournaments that you did. And one thing I've always said about what you do is is you are kind of like relentless in your pursuit of work. And has that very much been like a mindset that you've had from the beginning to just not just kind of like to work hard, but to work harder than anybody else that's doing what you're trying to do? Yeah. So uh, to be pretty honest, I think I was. I was sitting on my channels like Instagram and, and YouTube, and I was like, I just not, I'm just not growing. Like, and I sat there and I was like, the reason why you're not growing, Brandon, is because you're not posting. Like, I'm talking like you do one post a week. You know, you need to post every day. I think I always said like it's better to do a six out of ten every day than to do I don't know like one nine out of ten one day a week. So what I did was I was like, right, what can I do to help me one live a live a life where I can still socialize and 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 not just work all the time so i started to hire people so i've got a good team of people around me now from editors to people that help manage my social channels with me um it sounds a lot more glamorous than it is but basically just to ensure that we've got videos going out every day so i'm always pre-planning the head like one other video going out every day because consistency is what's going to grow the channels and it will every day you're not going to be able to get a masterpiece and you're not going to get a million views every day but you know if you can do 50k one day views and 100k the next day then a million the next day then 200k the next day do you know what I mean across the month that looks so much more prettier and it's just constant growth and you've got people coming back to you because they're like oh what's branded uploaded today so I guess to answer your question it's like I've always had that work ethic is um but I also understand that you sort of need to be relentless in this game to be successful you know look at the look at the big 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 creators you know Castro I know he took a break from streaming but that guy was showing up every single day to stream and make videos and if you want to be recognized, you have to be, you just have to be on it and you have to be relentless and you have to be committed to it. You've worked with a lot of these content creators, right? So there's, when these events are going on, you have the likes of, you know, Castro, Castro might be there. 
Spencer Owen. You mean you look at people who aren't necessarily associated with the scene now. KSI got his breaks and kind of made his career first doing FIFA uh, FIFA work. Where do you see this going for you? Do you see this kind of staying kind of where you are right now? Is this kind of at a good place, or do you kind of want to kind of see more of this as a career where you're doing BBC punditry or whatever it else yeah. might be? No, so I think the the natural progression is, oh, is he commentating FIFA because he can't commentate football, like, or or, or something on those lines? And it's always like, oh, are you trying to get a match today, or are you trying to go and commentate on the Premier League? To be brutally honest, the opportunity in this space is unbelievable. For example, like, I'll give you an example. So there's an event called the E Champions League. It basically follows the Champions League. The day before the Champions League final, the E Champions League normally happens. A couple of years ago, when it was in Madrid, it was Spurs against Liverpool. I was in Madrid commentating on the Champions League, and then I got tickets to go and watch the Champions League final with PlayStation. You know, unbelievable opportunities, unbelievable uh, place where you can work with a number of brands. So how I see this career going, I think now you're seeing me move away from pack videos because I want to try and build up my brand as like a commentator, so to speak, and to build up more of a personality for myself. I think what's key is when you're building the audience, it's like, what can you start to do to try and divert yourself? So, you know, I'm in the process of launching a podcast with my good friend Richard. Um, we are trying to look at other ways as well where we can like reinvent ourselves, so to speak, because you don't just want to be known under that same umbrella. But at the same point, like, I'd love to be in the game. Like a couple of years from now, or maybe five years from now, I'd love to be a voice in EAFC. And I don't see why that couldn't happen. Like, could there be an esports toggle in the game where you just change it and you get Brandon Smith and Richard Buckley or Richard Buckley and a pro player or Brandon Smith and a pro player. Like, I don't see why that would be out the window. I don't I don't think it is. Watch out, Alex Scott. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? There's it, it could be it could easily be uh could be achievable. So I guess to answer the question is I really enjoy what I'm doing at the moment. I love having this cross world where I'm doing commentating and then social content and then occasionally getting opportunities with, you know, mainstream media. So just just riding the wave and and hoping that it can just uh, continue to grow. So there's no chance of you, uh, for instance, getting in the boxing ring or releasing an energy drink anytime soon? I wouldn't mind the boxing ring, but <laughs> I don't think we'll be releasing an energy drink. Maybe a coffee brand or something down the line. Before we go, I mean, you mentioned you had a podcast on the way. Uh, if anyone wants to kind of follow what you're doing, What's the best way for doing it? What's the po- when's the podcast um, launching? Yeah, so podcast, we'll, we'll keep it TBC for now. Um, but if you want to follow me, just at, it's at bsmith underscore esports or Brandon Smith on any social channel. Um, again, I really appreciate you having me on today. Um, and hopefully uh, it'll be a big year for EAFC and, uh, and the FC Pro Pro scene. Yeah, we'll drop some links in the, uh, in the notes. So if you want to follow Brandon on any of his social channels, of which there are many, then um, that's the best way to do it, I guess. I mean, Brian, it's been great to have you on. Good to see you. It's been, uh, it's been some time. And best of luck for the rest of the year. And you, mate. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed that, then please dig into our archive and check out other shows covering esports and gaming. You'll find a recent show with EA Sports, which covered the creation of the EAFC brands. And prior to this show, our interview with Mark Kirkham from PepsiCo, in which Mark discusses the PepsiCo partnership with EAFC. <laughs> Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.